Well, I know that you are so busy with your virtual conference coming up, and um, I'm I'm so thrilled that you are here, uh, Heather Forbes, to join me for our second uh, part of our three-part podcast together on the Beyond Consequences Institute and the trauma-informed approach that you um, and your your staff take when working with parents and schools. So in our last uh, segment, we just did a brief overview. And in this segment today, uh, everyone, we're going to be talking about teacher buy-in. So Heather, thanks for coming on the show again. It's so great to have you back. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. So if you haven't listened, uh, for those of you listening now, if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to the first part of this because it really gives a great overview of what the Beyond Consequences approach is uh, in a nutshell, how it functions, how it works, why it's there, the mission, um, what they're doing to help parents and educators. So listen to that um, first. If you haven't, just listen to this one and then maybe go back and check it out. But Heather, just in a nutshell, can you give us a little bit of background on what the Beyond Consequences um, approach is and what you guys do there? Sure. It's really just changing how we understand negative behaviors. Instead of seeing behaviors as just a behavioral issue, like a child makes a bad choice, it's really understanding now how the brain moves into a different part uh, from the cognitive thinking rational part of the brain when a child gets upset or disconnected, that the brain moves into the lower parts of the brain, which are much more emotionally abased. And so this is really about learning how to understand when children get what I call dysregulated, that that's when you will see negative behavior. So the premise is that this is not a behavioral issue that we want to work with to change children's behaviors. It's a regulatory issue. When we can get down to the root of what is going on with a child, get them reconnected into relationship, get their brains to be able to calm down and for them to get reestablished and grounded again, then we will see the change in behavior. So basically, you guys you guys are spending a lot of time in schools, um, and you're not new at this. You've been doing this for over 20 years. I have. You know, I, I did start my work more at the um, parenting level with working mm-hmm. with parents who are raising children who were adopted, children in foster care, children with just really negative behaviors. But obviously, you can't work with children unless you also understand how their Mm -hmm. schooling and academics are going. And so really my work has shifted at a much larger scale of then helping educators to understand how to help children to be able to sit in the classroom and Mm -hmm. and to, you know, behave and to be able to actually want to learn and to be able to focus and to be able to regulate and get back that love for learning. So my, my spectrum of work has been at all different angles, whether I've been professionally working in schools or working with uh, children in foster care or adoption or personally myself as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to dive right in today because we're going to take um, on the topic of you're going into schools and you're you're teaching these solutions and these approaches to teachers, to, to principals. And we're going to talk a little bit today about what happens once the training is over and you leave. So fill us in a little bit on what it might look like. How much time do you spend when you do go into schools and do this training for teachers? That's a great question. When I first started the work, 
I would do what has traditionally been done in schools to go in and do a professional development day all day long, you know, typically in August, right before school starts and give them a blast of information and then just leave. Well, I recognize mm-hmm. that that really was completely ineffective because learning takes time. This is a this is not just one little technique or an initiative. This is truly a cultural change that has to happen within a school and for um, teachers and counselors and administrators or whoever is working with children in the classrooms that they are able to start incorporating this this type of thinking and this knowledge and, and, and applying the science. So obviously one day doesn't work. And so what I have done, mm-hmm. in fact, I was just on the phone before this talking to a principal and we are going to be doing more of a blended training where I come in and uh, virtually now and do a, a kickoff. And then we have an online academy where they can come on and be able to do some coursework that we've done and created with actual role plays in the classroom, discussion boards, you know, just like a university. And then teachers can run through that for a few days. And then I come back on, do Q&A, and then they continue their learning like once a week, uh, working through a, a, a whole coursework on our online academy. So we've really developed a system now where it is a continual learning throughout the year. I believe with any type of learning, it's it's not about talking. It's not about just reading. It's about experiencing it. And so to be able to take that knowledge, one little nugget, go back in the classroom, try it out. You know, it may or may not work and then go back and learn a little bit more, do the coursework, go back into the environment. And then you keep looping until this really does become the way you think, the way that it just becomes a natural state rather than thinking about, okay, what do I do right now? What do I do right now? What's one technique to Mm -hmm. do? It becomes part of the, uh, the culture, like I said, and just the thread of everything that you do in your life. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm so happy to hear that you are no longer doing the what I refer to and probably you do too is the drive by PDs that you know those of us that have been in education for so long both as you know I was a teacher and a principal and you've been in the school systems forever um, you have someone come in they do a day and you're like what what am I supposed to do I don't even understand this right um, and so I think it's it's absolutely vital especially talking about the topic that you are going in and training them on. Um, it, it does need to be a culture and a way of life and not just, I'm just going to go back and do this because the binder told me I had to, and then make sure when the principal walks by, I'm doing it. When the principal leaves, I go back to my old ways. Um, so I, I love that, that you're blending in with the schools and that. Are you still seeing though, that there's a little bit of resistance, even though you're doing as much as you are to try to blend this into their school culture and climate. Oh, I mean, there still has to be some teachers that are like, nope, not doing it. It's not going to work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and I, but I, I really honor that because Mm -hmm. this technique and this way of thinking, I just said it wasn't technique and I, there I call it a technique. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) this way of thinking and this approach is very challenging. It's easy. I I will say this. It's probably the easiest concept to ever, you know, put your mind around, but putting it into practice. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. It's just, it's undoing everything that we, what we know that, that is familiar. And, and so it's, and also I think for a lot of teachers and educators, it feels like 
you're just letting kids get away with things that we're not holding them accountable. And that, you know, by, by implementing consequences in a, in a very love-based relationship-based way, it doesn't feel punitive enough. And so I think, again, it's this, not just within the schools, but just as a nation, we have always looked at it to say, if someone acts out, breaks the rules, that they have to be punished. And so we have to step back and really be able to see this differently. So it's a big stretch for some people. You know, if you have a teacher who was raised in a military family and that's mm-hmm. all they have known their whole life. And, and I come in and say, oh, no, uh, you know, let's just be really connected and loving. Let's hold the boundary, but let's really help them. It feels really, really opposite. So when people are resistant, I just hold that space for them to understand that this is just a really big stretch. It's it's like speaking another language. You know, if you put me in another mm-hmm. country and I'm and I have to learn the language, I'm going to want to go back and speak my own language before I really embrace the new language. And that's kind of the analogy I like to use. Mm -hmm. Well, and do you feel that teachers sometimes get the impression or just an internal feeling that, okay, I have to figure all of this out when I go back into my classroom and do it perfectly. And so you have to sort of calm that and reassure them that you don't have to be an expert at it the first week. Yeah. I think that's sort of a teacher's nature, isn't it? It is. And I think all of us in this field with the work with kids, we just want to make kids, you know, we, it's our heart and soul says we want to make it better for them and we want mm-hmm. to do it right. And we want to fix it. And we can't do that. It, this takes time. But I also think that there's this, this history about one more initiative, one more thing to do, one more thing. And And so to add something more on top of it, of course, you're going to get resistance. There's teachers have way too much that they are responsible for on the Mm -hmm. academic side and and all the paperwork and all the IEPs and you name it and the curriculum that now I come in and say, oh, no, do this differently. It's it's that they get overwhelmed. And so what I like to say is that if you ever have a teacher that feels overwhelmed, you're going to see resistance. Resistance is just fear. And so mm-hmm. how do we overcome that? Well, it's all about actually using the model itself with the teacher or whoever is being resistant. You know, we apply this model to students who are resistant, the ones that don't want to turn in their paperwork or don't want to do the assignment or, you know, just don't even want to pull up their pencil from their backpack. You know, they're like, I'm not doing it. You can't make me. And so we apply this model to our students. Well, this is a model about human behavior. This is a model about relationship, about connecting. It works with everybody. So to apply the model then to anyone that is resistant, I I also say we can use this in our and our families with our spouses, our partners, you know, I, I'll divert. And I had one, I had one lady at a training and she sat in the very front row and she said to me in the very beginning, she goes, Heather, Heather, I have to tell you this before I start. She was not an educator. It was a different type of training. She goes, mm-hmm. I have been using this with my boss and my job is so much better. So Mm -hmm. she obviously had a dysregulated boss. And so she was using the model with her boss. So it's a model that we can use with anybody that is resistant because it's just about being loving, being kind, listening, validating, tolerating, accepting who they are and their perspective, and then joining them in there and supporting them in a love-based way. Mm -hmm. So you bring up a good point about teachers and And, you know, if they're resistant to it, you know, the administrator may be trying to work with them. 
what do you do if you have a resistant administrator or how how important is the administrator when it comes to implementing these types of approaches? Yeah, the administrator is everything. It has mm-hmm. to be top down. I have seen teachers go in into their own classrooms and apply this model and actually do really, really well. But then the administrator walks by and again, this can be a model that gets misinterpreted as not being uh, you know, strong enough or holding boundaries or accountability. And so the administrator sees this and then they walk in it and they, and they can disrupt an entire classroom. Mm-hmm. And so it really, I've seen, I've talked to teachers that they're so frustrated because they don't have the support that they need. This is a, it's a big change. And well, here's the other thing. I've also seen teachers that have done this very successfully without the support of administrators, but but then the administrators send all the quote bad kids to their classroom because they know how to handle them. And so, you know, that's not very fair either. Uh, So it really needs to be a top down approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was just actually having a conversation with a friend of mine who teaches first grade and that exact situation was happening to her because she had done an excellent job handling some of the kids that had some struggles, some behavior struggles, and they just overloaded her. And right. she was she was she's like overwhelmed and the year hasn't even begun. And so it does happen. And uh, you know, I agree with you if the if the administrator's not on board or or not, um, doesn't have buy-in, you know, for, you know, he or she, then it's, it's going to be a little harder for the rest of the teachers to jump in. And so, so that's a little bit about the, the initial resistance right off the bat, but what about the situations where it's going, it's going, and then some time goes by and it just gradually sort of starts to fall off and six months go by in a year. And I kind of call that like gradual resistance, Mm -hmm. like they're gung-ho at first, but then it kind of falls off, you know, do you see that a little bit? And what do you do to help support that? No, I I think you're absolutely right. It's a pervasive, just builds up. And what I see the cause of that is because as the year goes in, you know, you get stressed out, uh, lots of deadlines, lots of things happening. Mm -hmm. And all of us, we, we have a tendency just as human beings to go back to what is familiar. When we get stressed out, we're not as mindful, we're not as cognitive, and we kind of go into autopilot. And so all of us revert back to the same old parenting mm-hmm. programs, like what our parents did and what our other you know teachers in our schools did with us. And so you know our blueprints from our past, we might be grown adults, but I'm telling you, the minute we get stressed out, the minute we go right back into the old patterns of what we know from as little kids and those old patterns of thinking. And, and so I think that gradual piece is just a sign that says you've got a teacher who's stressed out, who's overwhelmed. And I will tell you, when you've got kids in your class who are very, very challenging, not just one day, but every single day, you know, they walk in, they're very predictable. They do the same thing over and over again, and you just get tired of it. And you're like, well, I don't even want a relationship with this student. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. There's those kids that you're like, I wish this kid would just transfer. I mean, you know. And that's the kid that's always at school. Always. They never miss a day. (laughs) Never. So, so, you know, this pervasive piece. And I think we just have to be honest about that. We're human too. We love our kids. But, you know, there's those, those kids that turn us inside out. And so it's easier just to say, 
okay, you're out. Here's a consequence. You're out of my room, you know, and I can't mm-hmm. teach with you in here. And so we become combative again. And so there's this resistance that starts building up and it just feels easier. And, you know, when we get, when we get stressed out, the honest truth is we don't want to be in relationship either. All of mm-hmm. us know that from our own personal experiences. The minute you're stressed out and maybe your child comes in the room or your spouse or partner comes in and you don't even want to say hello sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's who we are. Our, the cells of our body constrict. We don't want to be in connection. We don't want to be in relationship. And the old model that we have traditionally used is not relationship-based. So it feels better just to send a child out of the classroom, just to give them a, mm-hmm. a consequence and get them out of our way. And so we go back to those patterns because we get constricted. We are the ones that are stressed out. And I think that's just a sign for us to say, hey, I need some help. I need some support. I need to be mindful. Let me get myself back in balance before I can go back in and be more of that love-based, relationship-based teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't imagine that you have too many situations like the one I'm going to ask you about, but I'm sure it does happen. How do you help teachers with parents that might be resistant to this? You know, I've had some of those parents that are like, nope, throw the book at them, make them sit out for recess. They don't get recess for the rest of the year and they have to leave the classroom. How do you, how would you help teachers with parents that might be resistant to this? Oh, there's definitely those teachers and uh, I mean, those parents that connect with the teachers in that way. I, you know, when I worked in schools, I was more of the therapists on campus. And so I did get to teach, to be able to connect with a lot of the parents, but it was really hard because they're just like, that's your problem now. I, you know, the minute I drop my child off, it's (laughs) yours. And so they don't want to be involved. They just want them to get their education and behave and they, they don't want to be a part of it. And so, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same piece. These are parents that are stressed out typically. And they probably have a bad blueprint of when they were in school. I, I always think, what happened to them in school? Did they have that loving, kind relationship? Probably not. And they do feel intimidated. A lot of our parents who are resistant, you look at their educational histories, and maybe they don't have even a college degree or a high school diploma. And so there's going to be a level of intimidation. And so they're automatically going to be in this resistance state coming in with their fist up. What do you do with that? Again, you just see that as fear. You see mm-hmm. it as resistance. And these are the people that need the most love. Just like our students who are have their fist up in resistance. We're going to love them in that moment. And we're going to love our parents. And sometimes it might be having to schedule a parent-teacher conference. And, and you know what? Just have that, that parent come in and just listen to them and tell me and say, tell me how hard this is. And tell me what's really going on with your Billy. And you're not there to solve. You're not there to put any type of expectations on this child's academics. This this parent's probably feeling some shame, feeling overwhelmed, all this. So it's not like you're having a counseling session. It probably sounds that way. But you're just connecting. You're just getting mm-hmm. to know the struggles of this parent. And you know what? You spend that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I guarantee that the next time you call on that parent, to be able to have a team connection, you're going to have a lot more ability and that parent is going to respect you in a way that you've never had before. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and that that is why that relationship piece is so important from the beginning, because obviously parents are going to have less resistance if they know you, they trust you, they feel like they already have a good relationship with you. And it's not like you've went, you know, half the school year and you haven't even, you know, met them or have any type of relationship with them. So, I mean, because it's all relationship based and it's, it should be everything that we do in school should be relationship based. Um would you say that you have you see more resistance and maybe maybe you don't have you know maybe it's not uh as as a big of a gap as i think it might be but do you see more resistance would you say with veteran teachers or with the newer teachers with some of these approaches i was again on the, the phone call with a principal and she was like it was the veteran teachers that she was talking mm-hmm. about that are resistant she even has a vice principal who has been there for years and years and years. And he's, you know, he's all about general patent that he's just going to make these mm-hmm. kids behave. And, and so, yeah, typically the veteran ones. And I think that the reason, well, there's a couple of reasons, obviously, because that's what they were taught. That's what's always worked. Mm-hmm. It's worked for the kids uh, when they first started teaching they, and it's been what they've been doing and what they know, but we live in a different world. And obviously now we live in a very different world. And so things have changed. People are changing and the, and our students are very, they're different thinkers than what they were 15, 20 years ago. But the, I think the other concept to think about is that by changing what they are, have done for the last 20, 30 years, it does have to make them look back and go, wow, maybe, maybe what I did wasn't the best. And that's a really big purple pill to swallow, you know? So I don't think it's what's wrong. I think we just all evolve and we all just look at things in, in a new, broader perspective as we grow. But it is about growing and shifting. And you know what? For all of us, that is, that's very hard. What is familiar mm-hmm. feels safe. It feels right. It's what you know. And to make that change after 20 or 30 years is a big stretch. But you know what? I also see newly new graduates coming out of schools who haven't been taught about trauma. And I just shake my head. I'm like, this science has been around since the 90s. And we're still not incorporating it into our, our higher education. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you think that, that, that part of the veteran teacher's plight is we as educators um, have a real bad habit of changing things up very quickly when we feel that they're not working. So it's, oh, you know, this is going to pass too, and they'll just have us doing something else in two years instead of really waiting to see if something is going to stick. Sure. I mean, and you know, as if you're a teacher, there's a strong hierarchy in the Mm -hmm. schools. And a lot of times you don't have a voice and you're Mm -hmm. being told to do this, told to do that, fix that, do it this way. And so there is a sense of being powerless. And, you know, I'd be, you know, if people told me how to live my life and what to do. It's, it's hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it, that resistance automatically goes up. So I think that's, again, why having administrators on board, building that, that culture, that team environment, the relationships, getting feedback from everybody. Ultimately, it is the administrators that make those decisions and pass down these these uh, requirements, but having that relationship, it doesn't feel so bad anymore. It doesn't feel like someone's controlling you. You know, if I were to ask everyone listening to this podcast, raise your hand if you like to be controlled and told what to do. How many of us would raise our hand? None (laughs) of us. It is our natural state to have freedom, to have choices. And again, to, to have someone tell you to do something 
that no matter whether it is love based or not, it just feels bad. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I know, I know in a lot of school districts, they will sometimes do, you know, a, a couple of schools where they know that the administrator is going to have buy-in. They know that the administrator is going to lead their team to, to pushing these solutions and approaches into their building and show what a difference it makes. And then moving on to all of the other buildings so that they have some, some data and, and some, um, you know, proof to say, look, this is work. We've been doing this for a year. And then schools have mentors, you know, because it would be great when you're trying to implement something like this, that you have others other than the trainer, because that, you know, you're one person um, and you can't constantly be everywhere all the time to say, look, I can help you with this. So having maybe some folks within your district that are experts at this or that have been doing it and can really help push you through when you sort of get to feeling like, uh, I don't want to do this. I just want to make the kids sit out for recess. Right. And I think what I've seen be very effective in schools to be able to unroll this is not to just blast it on that one PD day, but to bring yeah. in what I call your champions, the ones that really feel this model, agree with it. It's just natural to them. Have them come together, group of five, six, ten people of that school. They do a book study. They really get deep into the material and then they go back and they start using the model. Other people sort of watch what's going on, and then they become the coaches for the other teachers. And so it really becomes a peer-to-peer -peer initiative, and I think it's, it's a lot less threatening, uh, a lot more motivating, and you, you'll, you'll get more buy-in. And, and it's important because people will see the results. They'll see that that student who has been just revolving you know, your frequent flyer into the principal's office mm -hmm. all of a sudden isn't there anymore. They're actually sitting in the classroom and learning and people will yeah. take note of that. And so I think it's the, we are very outcome driven in the educational system. And so by doing this sort of very small initiative to start, when you start seeing results, then people start waking up and go, wait a minute, this might be something that I could buy into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, um, you know, with, with all of that being said, I know that everyone listening, they, you know, teachers that are listening, principals that are listening, they've been through all of this. And I know that they just want to do what's best for their students. And sometimes you just got to sort of stick in there and, and keep it going. And that kind of leads me into what we're going to talk about next time. So when we meet again, I'm really excited. We get to have another conversation about this. And so what we're going to talk about on part three, when we meet again is, what is coming up for us in August, um, how we can have, you know, trauma-informed approaches and considerations, because we're going to be dealing with coronavirus. We're going to be dealing with um, the unrest that's going on throughout the nation. So it has been an extremely stressful, you know, three, four, five, six months, and we're going to be having kids going back into school possibly in August. So Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I look forward to that conversation in our next segment. Thank you. And this is Christy Hool signing out for this episode of Classroom Matters. Mm -hmm.